0: building better players, building better games. This is Playing the Role. Welcome back to Playing the Role. I'm Nathan Stone, joined as always by Dylan Joseph Campbell. That's me, that's me. (laughs) And Darcy Robinson.
1: Hello, hello. It is good to see you again.
0: We have a great episode. I I really love this episode. You guys put this episode together. And uh, so this is Wondrous Beguiling World Building, or WBWB, sponsored by the WB Network. If only. Not actually. So this episode, we're talking about world building, of course. And uh, we're going to hit on a little bit of those world building basics, those questions you kind of ask yourself when you start world building Uh, And and then maybe how we get players invested in our worlds. And then we have a fun challenge called uh, new person creations or NPCs, which I thought was also clever. And uh, yeah, we're going to be designing a, a helpful and tragic NPC for a nautical game. So let's hit first our new and noteworthy section. We're going to talk a little bit about what we're up to, why we're up to it, and uh, if there's any industry news.
2: Television 8 News presents...
0: Bothered about Dungeons and Dragons. Well, the headlines tonight... Dungeon Master and Hobgoblins, Dwarves, Elves, and Halflings. New and noteworthy. Dylan, why don't you start us off here? As if I didn't know what you've been doing recently,
1: why don't you uh, fill us in? <laughs> I wonder!
2: <laughs> All games are at a standstill. I've been playing Baldur's Gate 3. That's all I do. I I I go to bed and I wake up and I play Baldur's Gate 3. Baldur's Gate 3 came out 7 days ago now, and guess what? 70 hours, probably not even halfway through the game. There's so much going on. I love Baldur's Gate 3.
1: <laughs> it's got to a point, okay? You got to understand. You've it's gotten to a point where like Dylan hosted a Minecraft server for us. And, like, he transferred ownership of that to his buddy just so we could keep playing. Dude. All right.
2: You don't understand. My CPU has almost fried from this game. Wait. I- yes, <laughs> twice. I- my, my whole computer just kind of.
1: <laughs> I'm like, oh, and like, is it, it does it still like run? Oh, yeah, it's
2: good. We're fine. It says, like, try not to do that again. I'm like, OK. <laughs> <laughs> do
1: what? What did I do? Play Baldur's Gate 3. Can't stop me. <laughs> Gosh, just, well, I guess it just means, like, don't do anything else in the background while you're trying it. Which means it would probably destroy my computer, because I like to have something going on in the background while I'm playing, usually. I don't know about you guys.
0: I'm a bit of a single-tasker. Usually if I'm playing a game, I'm just playing a game, but... Dylan, since you're a, a scant seventy hours into Baldur's Gate, uh, give us a, a one minute review. What what are you? What are your thoughts and feelings? How's the
2: lore? How's the thing? Is it is it up to snuff? Is it is it okay? This is game of the year. It is it, the the quality, the amount of time it's been in the oven is not overcooked in any matter. It is perfect, perfect. There is a bit of barrier of entry if you're like a newbie and you never really played D and D, or even the Forgotten Realms, right? The setting, it really indulges in the setting, and it's sort of all the characters, all the NPCs. They all speak like they live there because they do. And if you're not really familiar with that, you're kind of go, wait, w- what is Baldur's Gate? That's a port city.
1: So all the people that, uh, so all the people that joined into the hype of this game simply for that bear scene uh, are going to be very confused, probably.
2: It tells you. It gives you a lot of options to absorb it. One of my favorite aspects of the game is that there are countless books. I have over 200 books in the game. And about each of them is a unique, like, two, three pages of just world building. Just little, like, documents, records, you know, uh, shipment requests, uh, old tales. One of my favorites is uh, Jay's encyclopedia on eels. Where do eels come from? He poses the question.
1: Does not give an answer. <laughs> as as you do.
0: This reminds me a lot of uh, Skyrim when it came out. In you oh, could just re my. you could just get lost in reading like the little lore books and stuff. Uh, you find the lusty Argonian maid. I think there was like five volumes of that, which is uh, some fun. I think Argonian yeah. erotica, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's it's kind of giving me that that vibe. But I think it's even even bigger and broader now than because Skyrim was like a million years ago,
1: and that was the days before the mods. Oh, well, let's
2: not talk about the mods. Yeah,
1: <laughs> never mind what you can find in Skyrim now. <laughs> it's, it's very funny.
2: Um, our own Liam Green asked me, uh, he's like, how's Baldur's Gate? And of course, I gave raving reviews and ominous pictures. And he said, I'm, I'm thinking of getting it, you know, something to hold me over until Starfield comes out. I'm like, okay, I'll probably do more than hold you over. And lo and behold, uh, Liam Green has gotten further than I have. Oh, boy.
1: The man works like crazy hours. I know, I know. I think he just
0: works in games, though.
2: I think that's it for him. <laughs> he loves it. He loves it. And that kind of shows like if you don't need to really know the system, you don't really know, really need to know the setting to get absorbed in it.
0: Yeah. And we should mention our our dear friend Liam. He is uh, an absolute newcomer to the world of tabletop games. So if if he's knee deep in this game, then you're probably fine no matter what your experience level is. Buy it. Buy it. (laughs) That's a great update, Dylan, and a great ad for uh, Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, (laughs) We are not not sponsored, sponsored, by the way. Yeah. Darcy. Darcy, what's been rolling around in your brain? What's what have you been up to?
1: Well, unfortunately, my uh, last uh, little bit has not been as uh, as filled with wonder and excitement as Dylan here. Uh, It's actually been more filled with uh, despair and frustration. And, above all else, uh, grief. Because, uh, so I've been running a campaign for the last, like, year and a bit, I suppose. And, uh, well, we've had our first death. Oh. And the worst part was, there was nothing they could have done to, to get around it because it was all just a, a matter of some of the worst roles I have ever seen players make.
0: And it's all in the dice, yeah.
1: And, like, in that same vein, like, the monsters they were up against uh, critted about a collective six times. Uh, and the party almost wiped from this battle as a result of the, the bad rolls. Uh, unfortunately, though, the tankiest character, the Barbarian, couldn't, uh, couldn't get his saving throws together, and that was really heartbreaking for me, as that's, like, the first time anything in any game that I've run, anybody has, like, died straight up like that.
0: How did the player take it?
1: Well, the way the players were talking, like, the dude had to mute, because this is over online, and the dude was telling me in, in my DMs, he's just like, I'm crying right now. Oh. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, he's never had any of them die before. So that was his first time just outright dying. So he's like, I'm, I'm kind of heartbroken. And what made it worse was, like, was the RP that ensued from this as a result The despair from these folks afterwards for the rest of the party. This
0: is so interesting to me because I I think now this is gonna be old man. You know, grew up in a tougher era where characters died every ten minutes. (laughs) I really I really did. Like I've I've had a handful of characters die throughout my experience uh, role playing. I, I do remember it being easier to die in. I think older editions of Dungeons and Dragons as, as well as it definitely is in other games but I, I just find it so interesting that both the player was so attached to the character you were attached to the character and it sounds like all of the other characters were really attached to that character uh and to have that be something that affected him emotionally is is really interesting because that's that's the kind of thing that you you hear about but I I've to hear it kind of as a like a first hand story from you is is quite a thing.
1: I didn't expect it to affect people that much. So, I mean, it's like, and as well, this is in the midst of like uh, a not not even really a crazy boss fat battle. It was a but a fight against the Sea Hag is a fight against the Sea Hag, and it's like the world just stopped at that moment. Like, boss, what the fuck is that? It's, uh... <laughs> what what happened to my... What happened to our barbarian?
2: Weird question. Did you guys play, like, a thematic death song? Like, a mourning period? Sure did. That's weird that that, uh, that also happened at my table. What was it, if I may ask?
1: Uh, I I have a library of things that I've downloaded from a, a free music website. Um, That I use for a lot of... Uh, things on that. Uh, so I I found a really good uh song to use for that. I, I it was kind of a twofold thing because when he died, like I played the uh what was it called? The I'm so sorry theme from like the the, the old Star Wars prequels. <laughs> and then afterwards, like I had this uh, I'll I'll send you the song that I used for like the mourning period after the fact. It was a theme that I had used only once before, and that was when our captain of the uh, of the group was finding out about the stuff that he missed in his hometown. So it was a, a very interesting juxtaposition, but it made it all the more sad. Also, the party was livid after the fact, because then they realized, wait a minute, hold on, this could have been avoided if our captain... Hadn't ditched us for the fifth time in a row. hindsight's twenty twenty, coulda woulda shoulda. So they <laughs> they had this whole thing afterwards. Our our tiefling warlock had uh, left this fight to the rest of the party because he uh, because they're underwater and he wanted to save someone uh, from drowning essentially. And so he's like, "I'll take this guy back up to shore. You guys got this." Everything that's gone wrong with this party can be stemmed back to the captain abandoning the party. <laughs> it's not the first time, and it probably won't be the last. But hearing that, like the that the person that played the captain at that, he's also on vacation, so he doesn't know. Mm.
0: Oh, you'll have some great drama to come for him to come back to. Yeah. Oh
1: yeah. <laughs> I like that. He knows nothing of what was going on. I was just going
0: to say, I'm curious as to the difference, if you'll see a difference in the way that your players play their characters in the next little while. And I mean that in terms of both in a role playing sense, but also in the sense of are they going to be a little bit more careful into, you know, what scrapes they get into, how they handle combat. Are they going to be a little bit more careful about positioning and that kind of thing? Where in, in D&D, I find that a lot of groups, and it, it sounds like your group for sure, I don't think they had internalized the fact that these characters, uh, they, they not. there's no guarantee that they're forever, right? There's no guarantee that any particular fight isn't your last fight. So I, I want you to report back to us next time and, and let us know if there's any change in the way they play. Because I'm curious to, to know what what death uh, you know, having that first hand experience with death is is going to do for, for them in, in both sense, like the role playing and the mechanical sense.
1: Honestly, I'm curious too, because as of this point, they've taken every battle head on. Just like, no, we gotta win this no matter what. Like, they don't know the meaning of the words running away.
0: Well, that might be something they want to learn. <laughs>
1: hmm But also, like, they've been very poignant with, like, splitting up. And uh, they, they even said after after the previous place they were in, they had split their party to all hell, right? And you'd think they would learn after that. And they're just like, and they even talked to the captain. They're just like, you got to stick with us. And he doesn't. So that's going to, there's going to be some, uh, it's going to be some words exchanged and I can't wait to see where this actually goes from here. Not just from, uh, not just from their point of view, but for my own sake too, because I'm, I don't know, I don't know. I've never had this happen before. Oh, it's great.
0: It's great when you're the DM and, and you get that new experience and then it's party created drama. And you get all sorts of like that's them doing your work for you, right? You could have a you could have a whole session of them just, you know, coming to terms with this and arguing and, and hashing it out and being like, well, you know, either they uh they have a, a huge falling out, hopefully just in character, or, you know, they they come back more united than ever. And and you know, it's there's so many ways that could go. And if it was me, I would just I would just kind of like I would just let them go. I would just it doesn't matter how long it goes. A three hour <laughs> session, I won't say a word. I'll just I'll just be there. I'll just be there to just soaking yeah. it in. Absolutely.
1: Oh gosh. Yeah, honestly. I live for that. But I've been trying to make a point to try and like get people to do stuff, but in this particular situation I'm just like I just want this I just want to see what happens if they if they like tear into each other like uh, like I want to see how this all goes yeah.
0: the the GM's curse sometimes is knowing too much of what's going to happen you know when you when you get those situations that are really left field or unexpected to both you and the players oh that's that's the sweet stuff right where you're just like oh this could go this could go anywhere um because then you're you're less directing the story but you're more part of it like the players are so I love that I love that we're gonna we're gonna keep posted on that and maybe we'll do a death episode all right well uh we should we should move along first uh soon but uh just before we do that I will give my update in that there's not a lot going on over here however I have been I'm, I'm in that stage where you're you, you're jonesing to run a game and you're you're kind of brewing it in your head but you haven't yet Written out an outline, or or you know, done the the actual pen to paper work, and uh, so I, I'm I'm kind of in that brewing stage for uh, a, a game that I I can't help but run in the next hopefully month or two. Um, and that's I, I've told you guys about this before, but this is my my idea for for Miss Atomic Bomb, and I'm actually gonna talk about it a little bit in the um the wondrous world building, because I I do have an example to give. But uh, yeah, I always like that part of of planning a a game when it's kind of an amorphous blob and you're just like, I've got all this Play-Doh. How do I make it look into something? Uh, But with that, let's uh, segue to some world building, because that's kind of what I'm doing right now. And uh, maybe this discussion will uh, will give me some give me some help with that. Listen to me very carefully. It's the discussion. bro. what are you talking about, man? Listen up. World building, it's very important for, I think, most games, because I, I feel like most games are somewhat homebrewed, whether you're using D&D or if you're using any type of, of system. And even if you're taking something that is established, right? So if you're playing in the Forgotten Realms, if you're playing... In World of Darkness, Call of Cthulhu, those are established settings that have done most of the work for you. But I find most people like to kind of put their own spin and flavor on it. And I know I do for sure. Um, So starting off here with world building. Let's go with starting small or starting big what do you guys like to do? Is it is it the kind of thing where you start with a little seed? You're just like, oh, this is a cool idea. I have this one idea and then it germinates into a world that goes in every direction or do you wake up one day and be like, I want to make a whole functioning world with tax codes and, uh, you know, th- theocracies and all sorts of nonsense in it. So, um, Dylan, I-, I kind of feel like I know which way you're going to be on this one, but why don't you start us off? I'm a think? loon.
2: I'm a, little, I'm a little silly guy, and I always like the big picture. I like asking the big whys of the world and answering them immediately. The first thing I did, like you said, indeed, uh, for a-, a home game, was i made a pantheon i made a list of gods absolutely not necessary in any right if especially if there was a game looming in the future this is not your first priority luckily there wasn't so i had all the time in the world to nitpick uh, the entire thing from the grand scope and then zoom in right and that's what i did i started dming though with an already the, I, with the forgotten realms an already established setting And if you know anything about the Forgotten Realms, you know it is grossly in-depth and grossly big. So with that in my introduction to DMing, I kind of had no opportunity to start small because I needed to absorb all of that information. Well, I didn't need to, but I felt it necessary to understand the world I was running in totality. So I was through wiki articles and pages, I was looking at old dragon magazines, I was pulling things out of my pocket that I didn't know was there, and slowly but surely I became a a, a, a solvent in the entire setting. And it was after the Forgotten Realms that I said, "Okay, I get it. I kind of I'm I'm a good mimic. I get how to make a world. I understand the big picture. I'm going to try it myself." And I and I did. And I don't recommend it for most folk, because especially if you want to gather players quickly, all you really need is a town, right? You need one little place, even in the real world, in a fantasy setting, whatever it is. Just, you know, it's Belfrin. That's it. That's the little place. What is it? Uh, Figure it out. And you kind of just let improv go from there. What's the region outside? That's a great question. I couldn't do that, though. I could never do that. And I would need to know immediately what the region is like, what plant life grows there, how people get from A to B, what stops them. You know, are there any organizations along the road they have to look out for? Uh, Because everything has an answer. Everything has an answer, and everything has a why. It has a reason. It has a place for being here in the world. And I need to know it, and I need to expand upon it, and it's so desperate.
1: It's interesting because I... Have a bit of a similar approach to how you do things. Well, it wasn't the first thing I did. The first thing I did for myself, anyways, was build a setting. What kind of what kind of game do I want to run? What is the uh, the environment, in a sense? What is the theme that I want to touch on? And from there, then I went a little out of my way to. Make a bit of a pantheon on that. Then from there, I zoomed all the way in, as Dylan was saying, like let's focus on this one town. What is it like in there? How does it operate? What does it interact with other towns for resources? Who controls those resources? Who? Uh, what would happen if those resources were disrupted? What would disrupt them? And how would the surrounding area react to that sort of a, a thing? Would they care? And then it, t- it, it, like from there, you can zoom out a long ways, and that's kind of a solid story, but a basis for one can be gleaned just from that.
0: Absolutely, it, both of you guys have kind of given me the 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 start from a seed, right? And then those those wise become everything else. Right. You you can you can start small. I, I do think starting small is a good option for for most, I would say. and And I think both of you, your answers have kind of touched on this, but start with what excites you. Right. If you if you have an idea for a weird town or some kind of environment, right, some kind of biome or Uh, perhaps an organization or like a pantheon, that kind of thing. Yeah, start start with what you are most excited about. And then you can kind of get into the whys after that. Because I, I think when most people world build, instead of taking an existing setting, it's because they have something right that excites them that that isn't there that they're not getting from another setting. So whether or not it's it's Dylan's pantheon of gods, or it's just something as simple as what about like a cool giant mushroom forest, right? And the things that live in there, right? You you can you can start in any of these. Um, I would also say to your theme of your game. And, and you guys touched on this as well. If it's going to be like a a highfalutin high fantasy super combat game, that world is going to look a lot different than the world of a low fantasy or, you know, just a a sci-fi or whatever, just on the basis of what the characters are going to be doing in the game. If I, if I'm making a game, that's going to be a, you know, a mystery, I, I don't want my characters to have to worry about, orcs around every hill whereas if they're you know they're all fighters that tri-wheel giant katanas that glow in the sun and shoot laser beams sure have as many orcs as you want that's that's fine we could get orcs for days um so yeah I, i i like i like both those answers and i i think it's it's all just a it all kind of culminates in why Make your own setting in the first place, and I think there's always that kernel, right? That's something that excites you, something that you've thought of, and you're just like, mm, yes, this is this is the basis of something, and then kind of growing from there. Um, when you're world building, you say you've got you've you've got that, you've got that kernel, you've you've watered it, you've asked those why's, and now you've got something that is at least a functional setting. Maybe you don't have every little bit because you can't without going insane and now we're looking at uh what is going to make your players want to play there how are you going to pitch that to them um you guys uh use hook which is a great term what what's going to hook the players what's going to like i want to i want to have a big old like bass hook through my and i want to be led to your table what's what's doing that for you
2: i think players make characters, as we've said in prior episodes, contextualize to that setting and to your setting. But as well, ultimately, and this is is sort of a harsh sentence, but it's a true one, players only care about themselves and their character. That is to say, they only want their character to be interacted with and noticed in the narrative. Now, of course... They'll engage with other aspects of the game, other players at the table. But at the end of the day, they're at the table for a reason. And that's to play a character. Talk to that, talk to that character. Engage with that character. Look, how else better to draw on a character than to literally look at what they are. For instance, a wizard. Oh, classic. Classic example of a wizard. This small town has a local scriptorium. The wizard's ear perks up books, scrolls, but then you have to engage the other players as well, not just one, the collective. So maybe this subscriptorium can add on, you know, enchanted weapons, and the barbarian turns around and looks, whoa, wizard, this place is actually pretty cool. Let's look at this thing because it has. To, it's involved with our characters. And that's a. you can get as minutiae as you want with involving the characters in your story. You can pull literally from... Uh, their own backstories, their own relatives, the consequences of their actions. Remember that cool thing you did? Here's what happened because of that. How do you react to that? And they are kind of go, oh, I remember when we did this. We got to look into this because we feel responsible. We feel personally tied to this in every way because it is our own handiwork after all, good or bad.
1: I actually have a story along the lines of what you were talking about with like the give give a hook to people and like engages people as many people as possible cuz like uh we had ourselves a uh it, it was it was such a small thing too that didn't really mean a whole lot but like one of the uh for like the paladin in my game she uh she uh, was a like a very innocent and naive person, and the player was like, you know, I wanna I wanna make money, I wanna I wanna get rich quick scheme, and uh, th- which might lead her down a weird uh, a weird route where she might be extorted as well. But I wanna experience that. Just like, okay, well. Uh, there was a point where our now-deceased barbarian uh, had, a, uh, had, a, had a pet rat that was uh, really smart. And so the barbarian had an idea just like, Hey, this rat's pretty smart. I wonder if it can play chess. Hey, it beat our actual smart guy who was our bookkeeper. Hmm, I wonder if I could make money doing this. And the paladin's ears perk up, and it's just like, making money? How could I help? (laughs) And so, like, they had this whole scheme set up where it was just like they went the next town they went to, they just set themselves up in a tavern with a chess board, asking a bunch of drunk people uh, if they wanted to play chess with a rat. You could win money if you do. We'll. And they made a good chunk of cash off of that. Just from, like, the paladin being, like, having, like, persuading people to to come in. And the barbarian with, like, <laughs> making sure that, like, people don't get rowdy. If somebody gets rowdy with, like, oh, I lost! And the barbarian being, like, yeah, you lost. What about it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was a really fun little thing it was just a mini game out of nothing uh but <laughs> they had a they had a really fun time with it all because like it was they just had that hook there it was like oh you can make money about this because your pet rat's really smart sometimes I
0: forget how ridiculous Dungeons and Dragons is and that's that's a good story for that
2: yeah right <laughs> With your with your first story, you probably were bestowed the best boon of all as a DM, and that is not having to do any work at all. And your players writing their own hook; they did it. They made the story. This is all them. And now you get to spend the session playing chess with a rat and improv-ing <laughs> random drunkards <laughs> and seeing how they fare. Yep, <laughs> that's that's the most fun, right? Coming to a table like that and just like. Cool. This is what we're doing. I didn't plan for I had a whole thing for you. Yep, playing chess with a rat. That's what we're doing. <laughs> and
1: it's great. That's exactly it. And you know what? It was it was the, probably some of the most fun for me as a DM as well just being like, "Okay, how can I how do I do this?" I learned how I learned a whole fu- f- chess system for this. <laughs> <laughs> and like got gave lore about it. It's like, oh, your bookkeeper is is watching on trying to see, like, and is <laughs> hoping for your hoping for the rat's downfall. <laughs> and it's like at the end at the end of this, I, I said straight up, like, this your bookkeeper's gonna like, if you keep doing this, your bookkeeper's gonna be like the final boss of this chess arc. <laughs> and it's it's just builds on everything around them somehow <laughs> i think what this shows evidence
0: of is you really need to allow yourself as a gm to go with the flow and and improvise well because your player characters will often offer ideas and suggestions and things and right and they'll have their own ideas as as to what should happen and Sometimes those are terrible ideas, but all their other times, right, they might seem terrible and they turn into something fun and memorable for for everyone. Right. Um, I think as far as hooks go, when when you're world building, I really like to sell my players beforehand on the setting because I want them to make characters that are going to fit the setting. So I want them to get excited about the setting itself and not just the the character that they could make in it because the the characters and the settings that I I make are usually pretty down to earth so I can't really sell them on be a barbarian be a wizard well there's not really magic and like you could be a big guy you could do that that's that's kind of as close as we can get to a barbarian for you so what I'll do is I'll actually kind of come up with and this is more for myself, but it also kind of helps me when I'm explaining it to my players. I'll come up with an elevator pitch for it, which I know you two both know and love from our uh, oh our boy. great uh, journalism <laughs> courses. But for 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 example, uh, I, I did one up uh, for Miss Atomic Bomb, which is the one that I'm currently thinking of. And so this is, and it's just kind of a one sentence summation that I would I would kind of tell people to get them percolating on characters and it's a noir inspired murder mystery under the neon lights and mushroom clouds of 1950s Las Vegas so there we go right so you're you're thinking kind of the the glitz but also the like the seediness the the weirdness of you know that 50s era um, atomic you know the the promise of the atomic age type of thing and it's a murder mystery, so hopefully that gets them thinking about characters that have a little bit more going on upstairs, right? A little bit more cerebral, maybe not as heavy on the combat. And so I would, I would give them something like that to set the stage. And then later I would give them a... I usually do trailers because I, I like making silly videos and stuff. So I'll do trailers for my games. And, and then that kind of it kind of builds on it. And then the last thing they would get is a primer. Which would give them examples of uh, people that lived during that era, and so spoiler alert from for whenever I run Miss Atomic Bomb, but everyone's going to be a federal agent of some variety. They're going to be working for the FBI, basically. And so within that archetype, though, there's there's several different things that I'm going to give examples of different types of of agents and that kind of thing. So what it is is it's it's a it's a very I don't want to say it's railroady, it kind of is, but this is a very certain type of game and it's a certain flavor of game that requires a little bit of, a little bit of guidance, right? For that player character. And what I want though is for the the players to get invested in that and then make a character concept. That they'll they'll love because I want them to have that same attachment that they would have to a wizard that they hope to get really powerful or a paladin for some reason who wants to get rich quick. (laughs) I'm really not sure where that character concept came from, but it's it's a it's a it's a neat one. Um, So, yeah, that's that's kind of how I think about hooks is just I know I'm already sold on my games. My games are a little weird, so I have to sell the players on the environment that I want to drop them in because it's not just that easy. Science fiction or fantasy type of genres, yeah. So, so that's kind of kind of my thoughts on it. Um, I would say, in terms of of you know world building and and when you're crafting a, a hook and you're you're you know building out this world, uh, there's a great term or a great quote that's just steal like an artist. I think there's a book by the same name, and you really should. And, and I don't mean just take things verbatim but be heavily inspired right there's nothing wrong with that most of the the franchises that you know and love were heavily inspired by something from the past in a lot of cases multiple things from the past that they kind of smushed together to make their own settings and don't feel like you can't do that right like if you love say uh warhammer fantasy for example, I'm just going to pull from my own experience. And you like the way that magic is unpredictable and dangerous and feared. Just take that slice, right? Just take that slice and put it into your own game. And then, yeah, it's der- it makes it more derivative, right? But it also makes it a little bit more familiar for the players. They'd be like, oh, it's kind of like this. Um, and you can you can do that. And there's, there's really nothing wrong with that. Some of the most successful settings today are just... Blended, blended up nonsense from a hundred different things. Uh, so really, do yeah, just steal, just
1: steal. <laughs> it's, it's fine. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, you uh, you brought up an interesting thing about making a trailer for your for your stuff, and uh, you know, I just have to say this, like, it's not necessarily a trailer. But there is a person amongst us who does some fantastic intros for each one of his sessions. And uh, (laughs) that could be a great hook in itself.
2: Um, For our listeners, every session of every game, depending on the game that the players are playing in, I I have a title for the main overarching, whatever the current story is, but I have a little ominous intro. And as you said, Nathan, boy, howdy, do I pilfer and plunder those, uh, those intros? I'm like... Man, I love the Green Knight. This is a cool monologue. (laughs) And I take it, and I take it, and no one knows. No one knows I ever used it or made an amalgam out of it to get sort of the idea of this weird foreboding game that I uh, I created. And it it helps the players when they sit down at the table. I I know you love killing bears, Nathan. Oh, I do. (laughs) I love getting off topic. Um, The intro just... The game starts here. The intro is happening, the game's starting, and you wait. And you, it's something I took from my DM because uh, I'm, I'm right now I'm here in Sydney um, in the campaign we play here he always starts with this ominous riddle. And each time, all of our actions, whatever we do, changes it slightly. Ooh. Right? I love that. And it goes from a little dark because we're kind of dealing with something more ominous. Then it comes inspirational because, you know, we help some folk out. Or it goes completely off the rail, something out of left field. And it's like, what does this mean? And it really sets the tone. And I... He... He's just a guy I know and I basically took that from him and I said this is cool, I love this. I'm going to do it now in my own way. And guess what? No one knows except they do now, but they don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: fantastic. Yeah, I love I love that. And there's yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. And when I say steal something, again, I want you to make it your own, right? You you want to take that and you wanna use that you get and use it as heavy heavy inspiration and, and you know, heavy inspiration, but but add a little twist, right? And a lot of characters, we, we do this for character creation as well. You know, someone's just like, Oh, I wanna play a character like Han Solo, the dashing rogue, right? And you're just like, Okay, well that's that's a great start, right? That's a great concept for a character. But what What makes it your character and not Han Solo in fantasy or you know Han Solo in modern day? And that's that's the kind of thing you want to do as a GM as well. It's just like okay, I have this thing that I love that I have lifted from you know uh, book, movie, whatever. How do I how do I change it so that my players don't really recognize it? And how do I make it something that's equally cool but a little bit more unique? and something that that they haven't seen before. So I love that. I love that in all aspects of role playing, right? Because you you can use that for characters, you can use it for worlds. Um, Dylan, I love your your introductions, because they And this isn't a world building thing as much as it's a focus thing that you mentioned, right? You can you you start that off, you've got your your great little kind of poem that goes before each of our sessions. And it just primes my brain. It's just, you know, it gets me in the mood. You know, you get a, it's a little bit of foreplay before you get into the heavy role playing.
2: It's a little tease.
0: It's a little tease. Yeah, a little <laughs> tickle,
1: a
2: little tickle. Uh,
0: so, yeah, I, I think that's that's great advice. Um, honestly, the the whole thing with talking to friends, if you have friends that are interested in role playing, tell them about the the ideas that you have for a setting, because chances are they might throw some really cool ideas at you. Right. They might be like, oh, you know, i, I I've always wanted to do uh my own fantasy setting and I, I really like this idea right and you can be like mmm that is a pretty good idea you'll be seeing that again right there a lot of the things when you're world building don't have to just come from your brain it can come from from everything we've we've hit it can come from your players your players should help you with world building so for example I have a pretty strong concept in mind for Miss Atomic Bomb. It's it's set on Earth in this era so a lot of the, my work is done. However, whatever you guys make as characters is going to inform how I present this world, right? So the the world might not be super different. I might still have strong opinions about how I want the world to be. But if you guys all kind of gravitate towards a certain type of character, well, then maybe the world just shifts a little bit, right? To To kind of make it more engaging for you and and this is this is what you mean by when you're you've got a town and suddenly there's oh you know what you know what there is there is a church in here that is uh the the paladin's denomination right there's little little things that you can do to to keep people engaged and, and excited and fill out your own world because as a gm i want to do as little work as possible and it's not to say that i am lazy it's just that some of my best ideas weren't my best ideas, right? They were other people's ideas that I'm just like, "Mm, yes, we are doing this. This is great.
1: (laughs) Oh, gosh. On, On that note, I had a player that actually, like, when the party visited, like, his hometown, it was, that whole thing was kind of directed at that point by the player. He just, of his own accord, like, without any sort of, hints or anything from me he's just like he just created a story for the for the people that he met and it's just like huh i thought you would have left the island years ago and meanwhile that that gets my brain worrying like wait did it okay well let's uh let's experiment with that um and to the point where like he ended up dictating pretty much like where everything was gonna go down and whatnot he made he sculpted the scenery of his own accord because it was like, well, of course he would it's his own island. It just makes sense for him and I wasn't expecting it
0: <laughs> I love that that's usually the mark of a more seasoned player where they feel comfortable enough to do that. but it's so great for for a GM when the player just kind of you know takes the reins for a little bit because they're they're not messing up anything and they're not you know they're not hopefully not messing up any secret plans or anything that you have but they're they're taking the initiative to to fill out a world that their character really should know and should understand. I love it when when people do that. I tr- I try to do that to an amount in games as well. I my GM brain never shuts off. So even when I'm like if I'm playing in R games or something I'm just like cool, like what can I add to this? What can I you know, what are what are the things that I can The little things, right, that I can do to add some flavor here for myself, but for the game in general. So that's that's great advice for both GMs and players is just, you know, sometimes it is appropriate to have the player just do a little bit of world building for for fun and profit.
1: It saves you at the end of the day with that. It
2: does. Letting the players do the work for you is great uh, because if you're someone like me and you look at the bigger picture. And then the very last bits is you zooming in to specific places. Say, settlements. Settlements are one of my, I feel, weakest points. Because I always, I more detail everything else and then look at the settlements when I need them, right? Uh, Let's take you, Nathan, for an example. As an experienced, you know, RPG and tabletop player, you, in my setting, this, you know, very theocratic setting, of course you played a, a human cleric. And you essentially defined that religion right or at least this sect of the religion because you would know it you would know it inside and out and so I didn't have to go ahead and write you a million different uh, dogmas and ideals you just sort of gave me the strokes of not only what your intent for the character was but also his upbringing and how that affected him with the clergy and that was so gold because that's cemented now eternally it's forever there and it's not going anywhere thanks Uh. you're set in (laughs) stone and you can't leave but okay (laughs) new players can also very much surprise you uh when it comes to world building because oftentimes they're the folk who have the most outlandish and strange ideas but if you sort of embrace them they can really work i have two examples uh our very own uh connor he gave me, he just threw in this random little line. He's like, oh, I was, my character was, he grew up in an apothecary. And he dealt with lightning moss. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. Let's figure it out. And now I have this unique material, this, um, this glass-like substance where, where lightning strikes. And it, it, it crystallines the ground that can fool Uh, any sort of magical sensors and you know there are stories that it comes from you know the god of strength who abhors the arcane he creates this material or people people uh, more on a scientific note think like oh it's a property of this old calamity from this fallout of a kingdom right uh and i would have never thought of that not only that It gave me something to tie and hook Connor's character to, because now he has a foothold in the setting. Now he has a defined place in it, because not only did he make a character for it, he expanded upon it in spades. Uh, Martha.
1: Oh, goodness.
2: Martha gave Hmm. me... I was raised by dwarves. That's kind of it. That was... Of course, there was more from it. I was raised by dwarves and worked in a tavern. And I'm like, oh, that's genius. I'm going to base this entire settlement's basically history off of that one little line. And now your foothold in it, you basically made this. Like, you did all of that for me. Thanks. The copper phage? That's your fault. You did that. (laughs) Yeah, use them. Use them. Love them. Kiss them. Maybe kill him sometimes. It's okay. <laughs>
1: Hopefully not. But it, Darcy character slayer
0: <laughs> over here. Yeah. <laughs> oh no! Just getting out his scythe, reaping them like corn. <laughs> oh, no, I, I gosh. kid. I kid. Uh, <laughs> this is one of the maxims that I absolutely live by for anything creative, is that constraint breeds creativity, right? So Martha gave you a constraint for this town that you chose yourself, right? You didn't have to do that but but you chose to have this constraint of okay well she's raised by dwarves this is this is where dwarves are it's as simple as that and from that grows something so when you're world building sometimes because you have infinite choice it's it's paralyzing right because you you don't have a good place to start and maybe you've you've gotten to a part where a lot of your setting is flushed out Uh, But then you have, yeah, you've got those little towns that Dylan mentions, right? Those places on the map where you're just like, well, I put the name there because I like the name and I needed something to go in that part of the map. And then your characters come along and they're just like, oh, yeah, here's here's a little like little just a chunk of of nothing about my character. And then sometimes you can latch on to that and grow out from there. Right. So Martha was raised by dwarves. Well, why was she raised by dwarves? Oh, well, this is primarily a dwarven uh, outpost great well what do they do here right and and then it grows and it grows and it grows and and then Dylan's got a fully fleshed out area of the map that he didn't have before so that's the perfect example honestly um because yeah that's that's a very basic backstory it's about as basic as you can get and then from that springs those those creative, Those nice creative flowers. I'm going with really like plant metaphors today. I guess that's (laughs) in my mind. I like Um, it. Nathan's
1: embracing his, like, uh, his botany botany arc. (laughs) Uh,
0: So, gentlemen, I think we have reached a good point to to have our break and, and move into our challenge. But before that, is there anything that you would like to hit on in terms of world building that we haven't discussed today?
2: Well, I can't say it, can I? Because oh, you play in it. Oh no! See, this is this is where we go wrong. Wait, hold
1: on. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, it's not for us to know, Darcy. It's for us to find out later on. All right, guys. I think I, I think we've reached a good point. Let's take a little break, and then we will pop back in for our challenge. What's that?
1: Robot blood. I always knew the Industrial Age would end in chaos. Be sure to tell the young woman that mother sends regards.
0: Good night, campers. You are trespassing on SeaWorld
2: property! What if these things can read our minds? They're be awful mad when they get to me.
0: Welcome to the Video Cult. We're dedicated to bringing to light some of the most weird and wonderful movies you've ever, or never, seen.
1: Dead
0: Teenager's Brains. What's what's really in there? Dead Teenager's Brains. Cult classics, B-movie masterpieces, Diamonds in the Rough. Join Josh, Gabrielle, and myself, Nathan, for deep dives and scene-by-scene breakdowns of these entertaining cinematic oddities. Are you wearing a condom? What? No, I didn't think so. Well, this is a safe sex zone, sir. You're going to have to move along. The first three episodes drop July 19th everywhere you get podcasts. Welcome to the cult. Dust off that VCR and don't forget your popcorn.
2: Thank you. Have a nice day.
1: Are you challenging me? You
0: challenge me, Marvel. It's really hard. The challenge. Are you up for it? Welcome back. Now it's challenge time on Playing the Role. We have a great one today, and that is to create a NPC for use in a nautical setting. And the NPC must have the following traits. They must be some form of guide slash mentor for the players. They must have a secret goal slash agenda, which the players are unaware of they must have some kind of injury slash deformity and a tragedy must befall the players in some way which is related to the NPC, be it betrayal, tragic death, catastrophe, etc. So this is this is a lot of fun. And uh, I'm going to go first here because I have the least uh, drawn put together character here. Unfortunately, today has been very hectic. I was recording another podcast before this one a little plug and shout out to uh the video cult and uh if you like uh weird exploitation films b movies and you want to see ridiculous in-depth breakdowns scene by scene mind you of these movies uh please check out the video cult you'll see me there and uh our good friends gabby and josh now to my character. I have the loosest character concept here, guys. So we're going to do kind of a little bit of a live flesh out for mine. We, we agreed. Uh, and uh, so here's what I have for you. So I decided, okay, nautical theme game. I've been watching a lot of fun Let's Plays recently, both for Dave the Diver. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Oh, awesome, yes. Cool looking game. Yeah. Uh, as well as another game called Dredge. Dredge is very much my kind oh! of game. Oh yeah. And, oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. and I, I don't play a lot of games. I, I play like a couple games specifically, but most of the time I'm I'm content to watch a game. And so I, I took some inspiration from Dredge and I was like, okay, let's do Call of Cthulhu. I love Call of Cthulhu. It's one of those systems that I've been meaning to run forever and a day, and I love the whole Cthulhu mythos. So I decided, yeah, let's let's do that. And so what I've come with here is I feel like a little generic, but maybe you guys can help me make him a little bit more unique here. So I went with the grizzled old sea dog. And uh, so this is Captain Matthias Shore, And so the players would meet him upon arriving to the small New England town where I think most of the plot's going to go down, and this is kind of a very much a uh, an Arkham Horror esque type of of game that I've assumed that he's going to be in. So, a lot of stuff regarding maybe deep ones about you know those kind of hybrids, that kind of part of the Cthulhu mythos. So he um, he is from the secluded Ivan Island, sorry, community of Havenport, Maine. And this island community, it's obviously it's offshore, and it's one of those kind of far flung offshore uh, New England communities where everyone is kind of they they almost speak an older form of English. It's very insular. You know, they don't get to the mainland that often kind of thing. And this would be set in the 1920s. So even more so. And what he knows the players don't know is that the island uh, so Havenport um, has fallen under the influence of a the cult of Dagon, which is a, a basically a, a sea monster, uh, Cthulhu esque, but but l- like a lesser on the pantheon of old ones. Um, so they they have begun worshiping and uh, interbreeding with these with the deep ones, and this continued for for many generations. He is from there, and secretly he is one of these people but the the hold that the cult has on these people through both brainwashing and, and just like the the kind of psychic connection between all these hybrids for whatever reason he was able to break free from it and so he kind of fled to the mainland but he still has that call of the sea in his veins so he couldn't he, he just couldn't divorce himself entirely from it. So he became kind of a, a, a captain of a uh, of, of a schooner. And now he does, he basically, he ferries people between places. He, he does, you know, small cargo deliveries, that kind of thing. He would meet the players and become kind of a, a guide to the area for them, as well as, like, taking them to these little secluded places as their investigation continues, so they'd get to know him really well. His deformity, of course, is that he is secretly a, a mutant. Uh, I was thinking he wears, he, he has kind of trademark big galoshes that he wears like big wellington boots and the reason for that is that he has he's big web feet that is that is where that kind of deep one genetic came came out in him and so the tragedy that i was thinking to, to befall the players was to so there would be hints dropped that they they would eventually have to go to this community and he would be very much against this but if they're able to kind of convince him of the the purpose of, of their journey is to to stop this cult or to to you know to help the people. Um, he would take them there, um, but the cult's influence has only grown stronger and stronger. So they they land there, and he's he's kind of staying offshore uh, because of obviously he would be persona non grata there. Um, but as they they get involved with the cult on the island, uh, the and the, the high priests and stuff realize that they're they're there causing trouble, they would kind of send out this psychic communication that would uh kind of tell all the cultists like converge, right? And and so the players would be forced into kind of almost like a zombie-esque scenario where there's, you know, there's hundreds of enemies, they're they're hiding, they're trying to, you know, they're, they're where you get these these weird-looking like human fish hybrids looking for them with torches and stuff, right? So it'd be a really cool scene. And the tragedy would be they would see the boat. The boat would come to shore. They would think to pick them up. And then they would see the the same kind of glassy eyed stare. Oh. On poor Captain <laughs> Matthias. And they would have to they would have to defeat him to get get on the boat and, and get to safety. So they'd be they'd be forced to to kill this guy that they know is a good man. But he's under the control of this cult. So, yeah, I, I guess I was a little bit more fleshed out in my head since I didn't write any of this down. But um, so, what? yeah, what do we think about that? Is there any way I feel like he's maybe a little generic, he might be a little on the nose for for a Cthulhu game, but I still like him a lot. Is there anything you guys would add?
2: I play up his kind soulness, like because he's, you know, he's different and he really he, just to really get that gut punch in when he's gone. Yeah, he's going to
0: be gruff, certainly gruff, gruff, but gruff kind, but like but really fair. good heart. Yeah, yeah. Like a grandpa. Like
2: a grandpa, yeah.
0: Like an old sea dog grandpa.
2: He doesn't really get the current times. and no, Sometimes no. he says some things that are a little, what? <laughs> but mm-hmm. like, you know he means well, and he, yeah. he tries and helps.
1: For this kind of thing, I well, I think you have a, a lot more fleshed out than you realized. On I think that. I
0: did, yeah. As soon as I got going, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I actually know this character.
1: <laughs> yeah, you see, there you go. Yeah.
0: Yeah, sometimes sometimes you just have to get started, right? And then it all just comes out. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good then. I'm glad. I'm glad there's not many notes. That means he's probably a pretty a pretty decent character for a game like this.
1: I'd buy it. I'd say okay. so. Yeah. All right.
2: Uh, Dylan. Dylan, why don't you hit us up next? What's what is your character? I got I got just a few little paragraphs here, and then I'll I'll, I'll expand upon it afterwards in, in more you know direct detail. Down by the bay lies the prosperous city of Allingard, a port hub responsible for establishing greater coastal protection under the salt ley line. Traffic is ripe along the inland gates as simple folk come far and wide, whether it be by foot travel or carriage wheel, to trade amongst the oversea bound wonders. The port city, but more specifically the great docks, are controlled by the settlement's bluebuds, noble merchant guilds who oversee the vast majority of shipment trade in and out of Ellengard. Among the Blue Blood is a prestigious yet strangely unheard of company, under the guidance of one simply known as the Sapphire of the Sea. The Sapphire has taken great interest in outsiders, willing to fund these groups and their exploits only for their patronage. The Sapphire provides a reliquary of local history, customs, riches, and splendors, at times outdated, as well as employment for good pay. Despite the Sapphire's vast resources and similarly benevolent demeanor, asking any local of the name only turns up either a confused unknown or surprise at an old family title being evoked. The Sapphire themselves is an odd fellow. The eye mainly follows around their light blue skin and sickly wet sheen. Most concerning of the Sapphire is the indent of rope rash standing out around their neck against the odd-colored skin. The Jobs, they ask, involve sailing the Salt Leyline coast and delivering valuable cargo through the neighboring isles. A request by their employer is to leave the crates and barrels sealed at all times. The ulterior motive of the Sapphire is, if you couldn't tell already, he's dead. He's been dead. And he's a revenant out for revenge against his uh, his prior um, compatriots who had, because he had such a strong foothold in the market, had uh, drowned him by hanging him underwater and leaving him oh, dead.
1: Oh, gosh.
2: And so he's getting the characters to sail around and deliver essentially scandalous materials, whatever you really want it to be, to sabotage these other companies. The tragedy is then... If the players are to continue and serve the Sapphire, they will ruin the economy. And when the Sapphire feels revenge has finally freed them, they will disappear and an entire network will go belly up overnight, leaving this entire coastal area devoid of any trade to the seas. And now the players must figure out, do they take control? How do they fill this vacuum? Do other people of interest try and take this? That's a
0: wow. Ooh. That is wildly in depth. Firstly, I loved how you, you just dove into this and made this setting for us and described all sorts of things. This is a great example of like Dylan's world building right here because it, he tells us so much so quickly as well. Like, that was awesome. Um, I love this. I love this character because that's, it's one of those fun moral quandaries that you might not even realize until it's too late. And you're just like, uh oh, what did we just do? Uh, which is always fun in D I D. I think it's it's a it's a good one where you're just like, oh, we were the bad guys here, huh? Hmm.
2: hmm. We're rich though. We're real <laughs> mm-hmm. rich. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I. It's such a cool twist too because you'd think like, well, with the uh, with like the rope rash around his neck, especially like, you'd think, huh? That's a little weird. Like this guy seems a little bit sus. Like oh he definitely he definitely got away from being killed at one point. It's the,
2: it's the idea that this is probably like something you shouldn't ask about in like if if you want to be polite and and kosher because it seems like it has some history to it. And if you did, I mean, as the as the GM, you really have full game on how they respond. Whether they truly know they're dead or not is up to you. Mm-hmm. A lot of wiggle room.
0: Oh, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah, because he he might not even realize that he's dead. Darcy.
1: Um, okay. So, uh, so Nathan and I had a similar concept apparently. Um, but, uh, I went slightly, uh, uh, different direction, but Generally, there's going to be a lot of notes that hit the same, I feel like, on this, but I'll, I'll, I'll stop talking about it and just simply read the, uh, the paragraph I have prepared here on the fearsome Captain Julius Crailhart. You were a nobody before Captain Crailhart took you under his wing. You often wondered what went through his head to choose you of all people, or any of your other compatriots for that matter. Your ragtag group of seafaring misfits was handpicked out of what you could only assume to be hundreds of lowlifes in the rotten town of Magpie's Rest. And damned be the fool who said no to such an intimidating figure with such prestige as Captain Crailheart. Not to mention, few people had the heart or stomach to turn down a man with a giant barnacle affixed to his shoulder. God only knows what he could be hiding in there. Well, of course, and yourself from sailing with him. But despite the obviously rough exterior, Captain Crailheart was more than fair to all of you. He was far better a teacher and mentor than anyone could have expected. Which is why when he disappeared and your vessel was left unsailable, you all felt a sense of dread and unease. You had just discovered the whereabouts of a deadly sea beast that could destroy islands with just a swipe of its tentacle, or even a thought. And you took it upon yourselves to stop it before it grew too powerful. And that's when you noticed the captain's empty quarters. None of you had dared enter without his permission. But after turning the whole ship upside down looking for him, None of you really had much of a choice. And there you found it. The captain's diary. Overwhelmed by curiosity, you took a peek and discovered the truth of the captain's actions. Every step you took on your journey, he was out collecting his own information about this marine monstrosity, but also of you and your comrades. He had planned to get himself the perfect dumb crew, simply to use as a distraction, and ultimately, bait for this monster. But once the creature had finally appeared before you, poised to devour you whole, it was then that you realized how horribly wrong his plan went. In his desperate quest to avenge the deaths of his family at the tentacles of this monster, he failed to account for the creature's own horrible psychic abilities, as well as the inescapable debilitations of his own age. Now looking at the deformed and bewitched mutant that was once your kind-hearted captain, you fight back tears as you draw your weapon, ready to put an end to this torment. But whether it be your own torment, that of Julius Crailhearts, or that of the world as you know it, that decision rests in your hands. It's as the captain used to say, it's your vessel. So be your own guiding wind. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Applause.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. Captain Julius Crailheart, the scurvy the uh, the scurvy dog, um, feared by feared by all, has built up quite a repertoire who lost his family at the behest of this. At the behest of this horrifying eldritch sea beast, there's such
0: a great tragedy to that character because he really does. He he builds up this this persona, but it's all to this to the, a means to this end. But as soon as as soon as that end comes, he's he's so woefully unprepared that he is just just destroyed and and. Like dominated by this this sea beast that he he basically uh, devoted his life to to hunting down and and used people and and did all sorts of things that are probably quite questionable and and kind of built this whole character around himself for the sole purpose of revenge that he imme- is immediately denied like there's there's not even like there's no fight there's nothing I love that so much it's so. Yeah, it's such a such a tragic end for for a, a a character like that. I love that. Yeah, and that really subverted my expectations about what you were going to do with it. I thought he was going to be the sea beast. Is is when ah. were like halfway through, I was like, "Is he going to turn? Like, did he turn into was he cursed, <laughs> cursed sea beast? This is so much more devastating. I love it."
1: Yeah, and it kind of leaves the. I wanted to kind of leave the party in a sense of like ambiguity with this, too. It's like, yeah, his whole plan was to use you guys, but, like, at the same time, you still feel bad for him. and Like, what do you do with that? Do you, like, try to free him? Do you try to kill him? Like, what do you do in that situation? And that's... And it all leads back to, like, the captain at this point would just have been, like, try to urge you, like, stop, like... Stop looking to me for everything. Make your own damn decisions, uh, and that's that's kind of where that goes full circle on that. So I thought I thought a lot about it. So when, <laughs> so when you were like telling me all about your character, I'm just checking my notes frivolously, like, oh wait a minute, hold on, is this the? <laughs> Did we make the same character? But no, it's like quite a, it's a different kind of. Uh, kind of story but similar very similar concepts that we kind of went with on that so that was fascinating i think the
0: idea of the of the nautical campaign plus the uh the guide slash mentor for the player really just draws the mind the captain's a little bit of a low-hanging fruit for that one uh but yeah i i think i i think our characters are very very different but uh, i i love that i love that so much um and just the uh, I, I like the the narrative that you you kind of brought the characters to this place, right? You're just like, oh, and now you're standing in front of them, sword drawn. What are you gonna do, right? So, yeah, that was fantastic, Darcy. They're good characters all around this week.
1: How would they work together, <laughs> if at all?
0: Yeah, that's NPCs, that's, a, that's a tricky sure, one.
1: But we, <laughs> but we have this. We have this thought at the end of everything I, you know
0: what yours and dylan's i could see having at least crossed paths right they, they maybe the 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 captain did some some dealings with the uh the sapphire our, yeah our blue uh yeah our, our sapphire guy and uh i i could see them existing definitely in the same area or in the same game and, and probably in like the same region too i think that'd be really interesting as as part of like a like an archipelago game right where you're you're always Hopping around the the seas and stuff and running into monsters.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like, with, with them being, like, the same kind of, like, <laughs> grizzled old, you know, grizzled old sea dog, like, you could even go so far as to, like, maybe, I don't know, they grew up in the same sort of vicinity, who knows?
2: That sea bees can just be from... Havenport Maine, a product of the cult of Dagon. That's true, yeah. The further you go from the coast, the more deranged and defiled everything becomes on the ocean waters. Ooh, yeah.
1: It's true. And that's the thing about like nautical things. You could do like so much like undersea horror with it. Uh and that's that's kind of where I drew inspiration from on that. And it looks like a lot of you did the sa- you guys did the same kind of thing on that.
0: I mean, it's it's the classic map Trope of of just saying here be dragons right because it's just like I don't, I don't know what's there probably probably big terrifying lizards who can say right and, and I love I love that about nautical nautical games are so much fun because there is that great unknown right you sail into the mist and who knows what you'll what you'll find right or if you'll come back at all or if you'll come back changed uh, so there there is a built in mystery that a lot of games that are a little bit more landlocked just you know it just doesn't set up as well for for having that around the next corner who knows what's what's there type of thing so i think we did a great job with this one gentlemen i think we can give ourselves a good pat on the back there Um, Mm -hmm. yeah darcy thank you for the great narrative there that was that was lots and lots of fun and uh I will uh, endeavor to be a little bit more prepared for our next session, though I I think uh, I think our good captain ended up being a pretty pretty fun character in his own
2: right.
1: Exactly, and as as I said, it was a lot more fleshed out than you realized on that. You definitely was whether you talked through all of that while you were while you were talking to us about it. Who knows? It was definitely that. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it was definitely a oh these words
0: are coming out of my mouth moment. Great, let's just roll with it. Yeah, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and or watching this one. Until next time, have a great week and happy role playing.
1: Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please give us a five star rating on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to share the show with your friends, family, and that eldritch horror lurking just out of sight. You can connect with Playing the Role on Facebook to see upcoming challenges and news.